the future of food, perhaps robot farming and high-rise aquaponics. Well, on the outskirts of Helsinki, a Finnish food tech startup says it's making a new protein from thin air. It's called Solene and it's a nutrient-rich protein grown in fermentation tanks from a single microbe. Provide growth conditions for the cell through a technology called gas fermentation. You can compare that to wine making or beer making where you have a liquid uh, that has sugars typically. For example, from grapes or, or similar. And typically, for example, one making you add yeast to the sugar's liquid, and this yeast eats sugar for carbon and energy to grow and express some alcohol to the surrounding liquid. We do the same, but our microbe does not eat sugar, but it is hydrogen and carbon dioxide that we bubble in as gases in the fermenter. And that's where the very fundamental point is how to disconnect from agriculture. No agriculture feedstock is used. That's Pazi Vainika, CEO of Solar Foods. Between land use to packaging and waste management, annual food system emissions are estimated to be 18 billion tons of CO2. Solar Foods is trying to make food without this environmental stressor, and when their electricity comes from renewable sources, there's almost zero carbon emissions. According to the startup, their process is 20 times more efficient than photosynthesis. So how is it done? After the microorganisms have grown and multiplied in water, they are then removed and then dried. And the result is solene in a yellow powdery supplement form, as for the taste. Very neutral, so it's kind of umami. In some ways it is a bit like a yeast extract. Or I would assume that if we would have like a lactic acid bacteria as a powder, so it would be pretty similar. It is yellow in color, so this color comes from beta-carotene. So this is, of course, the color, the same color that is in carrots. So I taste a little bit of carrot. The food tech startup is now seeking approval in the UK and EU. And once production is scaled, they hope to produce an impressive 4 million soling meals a year by 2023. Veriformin's been extinct since the Cretaceous period. I mean, this thing is a this thing. What? It's almost like the start of Jurassic Park. Scientists have announced the discovery of an exquisitely preserved dinosaur embryo that at least 66 million years ago was preparing to hatch from its egg just like a baby chicken. The dinosaur egg fossil was found in Ganzhou, China, and according to researchers... This is one of the best preserved dinosaur embryos ever found and reported in science. And... Because it is so well preserved, we can observe its posture very clearly, which allows us to compare it with other dinosaurs as well as modern birds. The dinosaur egg, which dates back to the late Cretaceous period, was found inside of a rock and was in storage for over a decade. It was only a few years ago that scientists from the University of Birmingham and the China University of Geosciences identified the rare specimen inside. They've been studying the fossil for four years and published their results in late December. They found that the embryo belongs to a bird-like dinosaur called Oviraptorosaur, which are ancestors of modern birds. 
after careful fossil preparation, basically we, we see the whole skeleton very clearly, although some body parts are still embedded inside the dinosaur egg. And we can see a very, very clean and well-preserved skull, which doesn't have any teeth. And this feature is actually a, um, it's very typical in oviraptorosaur. And because of this feature, we assigned, and together with other anatomical features, we assigned this specimen to oviraptorosaur. That's Fionn Weissama, the lead author of the study from the University of Birmingham, speaking with Reuters. Man, her fellow researchers also saw that the embryo was in a tucked position, which is an important discovery as it was previously thought to be behaviour unique to birds. So in modern day birds, they have a unique behaviour called tucking. So starting from day 17, they will um, curl their body up with its head in between its legs. And then on uh, 18 day, 19 day, until day 20, they will start to move into a final tucking posture that is putting their right wing on top of its head. And this posture was suggested to help the birds stabilize when they try to crack the eggshell um, using its beak. And this behavior has long been thought unique to birds, but now we see evidence in our fossil that even in non-bird dinosaurs, they might have the same type of pre-hatching behavior. The scientists will continue to examine the specimen in more depth and their findings will be used for the future study of fossilized embryos. Still to come on the Smart 7, we talk to a researcher about the mental health benefits of skateboarding and the tech company zapping cow dung to trap greenhouse gases. What's the beef with cows these days? In recent years, methane emissions have become the new challenge in our fight against climate change, and cows have become the new villain. According to the UN's Environment Programme, agriculture is the largest source of methane emissions caused by human activity, with livestock accounting for the vast bulk of that. Methane has 10 times the heat-trapping potential of CO2, but it stays in the atmosphere for a shorter time. That means reducing methane emission could have an even more rapid impact on the climate. In a bid to curb the methane released in commercial livestock farming, an Norwegian company is now zapping cow dung with artificial lightning to reduce the amount of methane it releases into the atmosphere. They hope the tech can help trap the potent greenhouse gases and mitigate the effects on climate. Chris Puddock is the Business Development Director at N2 Applied, the company pioneering this technology. In essence, we're harnessing lightning to zap livestock slurry and lock in harmful emissions like methane and ammonia. Uh, and as we know, um, methane, the potent greenhouse gas, uh, livestock are, are absolutely an emitter of that and, and we're here to solve that challenge. The first step in the process is to scrape the excrement from the barn floor. This is then fed through their machine. So with this machine, we are creating plasma, which is basically like lightning, and force it through into the slurry, which is in this uh, second stage of the, of the process, uh, which is the absorption process. And that's where we're locking in both methane and ammonia emissions. So the process, when we, when we add nitrogen from air to, to the slurry, it changes the environment uh, to, to stop methanogenesis, basically. So it drops the pH down to just below uh, six and um, and we're catching that early so it, it stops the, the breakdown of those methane microbes that then release the gas to the to the air. And then what comes out of the machine is a surprisingly odorless nitrogen rich brown liquid which can then be used to boost crop production. According to Chris independent tests show that their tech produces methane emission by 99% and they're now looking to scale up their tech across the UK livestock sector.
After a year of pandemic, 2021 saw the return of major sporting events. Tennis was back in full swing, England almost brought it home, and Tokyo had a spectacular Summer Olympics. Alongside karate and sports climbing, skateboarding also made its debut on the Olympic world stage. Whilst the sport is typically associated with youth and urban culture, new research suggests that skateboarding in middle age can actually have profound effects on mental well-being. Dr. Paul O'Connor is a skateboarder and researcher at the University of Exeter and has interviewed skateboarders both at home and abroad for his new study. When I started talking to people about their experiences in skateboarding, why they were still skateboarding, what it was like to be an older skateboarder, I kept on getting these very emotional, poignant responses about how incredibly important skateboarding was to their identity and sort of uh, as a motif that guided them through life. Whilst there are the obvious health benefits of getting more physical exercise, Paul's research shows that the benefits don't just stop there. A lot of people say to me, well, that's really good, it's interesting, but I can do the same thing by going for a jog or riding my bicycle, right? So so what's the big deal? Why are you saying skateboarding is so great? <laughs> that, that That's actually the key of it all, is that there is something almost magical about skateboarding for a lot of the people who are involved in it. And they see this as being connected to the way that skateboarding is wide open doesn't have a set rule, doesn't have a goal. You don't have to achieve anything to enjoy it. And it's very creative. It's so empowering because you have to deal with something that's a little bit challenging. You've got to constantly progress no matter how good you are. It gives people an enormous feeling of self-determination. Certainly, I've spoken to people who've had a, a traumatic breakup or a divorce or that they've had issues with substance abuse, alcohol, they're on antidepressants, and they feel that skateboarding is one of those activities that levels them, that gives them an opportunity to ground themselves. Now, what's key here is that it's not a solution. It doesn't solve all of your problems. And I, and I don't want people thinking, oh yeah, if I jump on a skateboard, I'm, I'll never be unhappy again. To the contrary, but what's actually unfolding with people engaging with this activity is they feel that they've got some control over their lives, they've got a creative outlet, and they've got a community. Now, we know those things help people deal with adversity through life anyway. So in terms of mental health, it's really important. And if skateboarding isn't quite your thing or you have physical limitations, how can insights from this research help those in middle age find that emotional well-being? I think it's key to look at those types of activities that can give you some kind of creative outlet. And for a, a lot of people, skateboarding has triggered this realization that, hey, I, I'm, I'm a writer or I, I really enjoy doing art or I really want to learn an instrument, even learning a language. So I, I think if you can try and find some of that magic, something that plugs you into a community or gives you a sense of purpose and power, like I'm going to do something against the grain that people don't expect of me, then then you've basically you're basically skateboarding anyway, right? <laughs> so whatever that might be. Still to come on the Smart Seven Sunday, the emerging science of steel transplants and whoops from the ocean. Right after this. You're listening to the Sunday 7. Follow us for your weekday news espresso, or even try our island edition. It's in all the usual places.
You've heard of that phrase, one man's trash is another man's treasure. Well, Australian biotech startup Biome Bank is taking it to a whole new level. They're on the hunt for the perfect poos. In recent years, there's been a growing body of science that shows that a human's microbiome, that's the constellation of microbes in your gut, has a far greater effect on health than anyone had previously imagined. The gut can impact cardiovascular disease, metabolic disorders, and even neuropsychiatric disorders. Crappy Western diets and antibiotics are depleting our healthy gut bacteria, and in some cases, a person's microbiome is disordered enough that it needs a little boost from someone else's. Sam Costello is Biome Bank's Chief Medical Officer and, as he explains... Biome Bank's mission is to treat and prevent disease uh, by re replenishing gut microbial ecology. Gut microbes are being lost in multiple populations throughout the developed world and this loss of gut microbial ecology is associated with disease and really is akin to an ecological extinction event that you might see in other ecosystems. So we see this as a, a critical thing for humanity that we actively work to replenish function and treat disease. So how is it done? A faecal microbiota transplantation involves collecting stool from a healthy individual who's thoroughly screened and then processing that within our GMP facility under anaerobic conditions and then we uh, freeze the stool prior to delivering it to hospitals whereby a doctor can pour the FMT and deliver it into the bowel of the patient to treat the disease. This isn't just disease treating but disease modifying and a scientific understanding of the microbiome improves the possibilities of faecal transplants are expanding. More people around the world are turning to faecal transplants for their health benefits and now Biome Bank is now looking to harness the power of high quality poo and new treatments that can simply be swallowed. Thomas Mitchell is the company's CEO and he has high hopes for the future of their product. We're hoping to receive investment throughout this year and we'll be using that to take our drug product and not only just distribute it in Australia but all throughout the APAC region. There's an opportunity for us to take our existing technology, our discovery platform, and really kind of leverage it in multiple diseases. Whilst we can do that ourselves, sometimes it's best to partner with some of these larger biotech or pharma. They have an interest in certain disease areas and they may have access to samples or data that we may not have. And so there could be a really great combination to really go after these second generation therapies and inflammatory bowel disease and, and treat our patients globally. Dogs don't quite speak our language, but they do know when you switch from one tongue to another. An intriguing new study from Hungry Finds. So this is the first time that uh, we see in a non-human brain uh, the ability to distinguish between languages. That's Attilia Andex, a senior brain researcher from Ottos Lorand University. The study examined the brains of 18 dogs as they listened to excerpts from The Little Prince in both Spanish and Hungarian. The dogs taking part had only ever heard one of the two languages before, and as author of the study, Laura Kuaye explains. For example, Spanish, some people consider that it sounds more as a song. It's a more melodic language. And for example, Hungarian is super steady because of the, this pattern. So we believe that dogs detect that. And the results really surprised us because we saw two different brain regions in, in the dog auditory cortex. An earlier processing so-called primary auditory cortex brain region, which distinguished between speech and scrambled speech. And it was in another brain region, the so-called secondary auditory cortex, 
the higher level processing brain region, which is later in the processing hierarchy, uh, which distinguished between the two languages, the familiar one and the unfamiliar one. These new findings reveal that the ability to learn about the patterns of language is a shared one, and although our communication is far from perfect, this makes the bond between man and his best friend all the more special. Ever heard of fish growling? What about whooping or calling? So fish being silent is actually one of the biggest lies that anyone's ever been told. Along with researchers from the University of Bristol, Dr. Tom Lamont from the University of Exeter is using fish sounds to measure the health of restored coral reefs. Here he is again talking with Sky News. They make loads of different types of noise um, and, and they don't even make one noise either. You know, there's really deep booming grunts and there's high pitched little, you know, bird type noises. And loads of different animals use sound within their daily lives to talk to each other, to communicate, to fight with each other, to try and attract a mate for all sorts of different things. And that means loads of underwater ecosystems are really noisy. And coral reefs in particular are the noisiest ecosystems in the sea. When a reef is degraded, it sounds very quiet because none of the life is there. And so none of the noises made by the animals are there. What we did in this study was to go to somewhere where they had for years and years been regrowing the coral and trying to rebuild the ecosystem in that way. And for the first time, we were able to test whether that regrowing of the coral had rebuilt the whole ecosystem, whether all those noisy animals had come back or not. Uh, and to our to our delight, uh, we, we found that they had. We found that when we listened to these restored reefs, they sounded like a healthy reef should. Climate change is a massive issue for coral reefs around the world. Uh, many reefs are already hideously damaged and many will not survive climate change. But I think what this gives us is a real encouragement that if we can get rid of the problems facing coral reefs, it will be possible to rebuild reefs that have been damaged. This has been the Sunday 7. However you're listening, do us a favour and hit the follow button. We'll be back tomorrow at 7am with the regular Smart 7 Island edition. Have a great rest of the weekend. Written, produced and published by Daft Doris. Hi, this is Kira from the Smart 7 Ireland edition. Just to let you know, we're pausing this podcast from Friday the 25th of August, but you can still get up to speed in just seven minutes if you search the Smart 7 and catch up with our UK edition. Thanks for listening.